Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We have been just in the book of Matthew, Lord, since October of I don't even know when. And uh, God, it was such an amazing gospel. And Lord, you, you showed us so much. And God, I am just anticip- anticipating, Lord, what you want to speak to us through this new book, Lord, through Romans, God, and what an impact this book has had in so many centuries. God, just at, ever since it's been written, Lord, it's just been one of those books, Lord, that has impacted the church. And so, Father, I'm asking here and now, God, God, would you drop a bomb on us? God, would you, would you lay us as a church flat, God? Would you show us, Lord, the areas that you want us to grow? God, would you encourage us and build us up, Lord, through this book, God? And Father, most of all, Lord, would you change hearts, God, that we would be different people? Lord, that's what we desire. We want you to move in us, God. So, Father, have your way in us, I pray, as we dig in, Lord God, and just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you guys, I'm going to do an introduction, so we're going to get through all of one verse today. We're going to get through chapter one, verse one today. Very long introduction, so follow along with me. Don't believe that we're not going to dig into the Word. I promise we are, but you might get into this 20 minutes and be like, when is he going to actually read? Well, as you guys know, if anybody, who was here for the book of Matthew when we started that? So we go through and we do introduction. That's typically the way we do things with Calvary Chapel. We like to introduce books, not just us, right? Other people do that too. But we really like to kind of give you background and history and what, what's happening. Why was this book written? What was the point of it? Why was the purpose of it? And we try to do all that before we even dive in. And so that's what we're going to start to do today. And so I need you guys to know something. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible out of the 66, and, and that's the answer I give every time we start a new book. But, but this book holds a special place in my heart, you guys. This book has changed things in people's lives. I would say in some ways, let's just say more than Leviticus, right? Like it's, it's had more of an effect in the world of, of Christianity than let's say the book of Leviticus has. <laughs> Fair enough? But Romans, you guys, it's a book that gives us so much to chew on. And I'm excited to begin this process of walking through this as a church. And so I will tell you guys, for those of you that thought we were in Matthew for a really long time, a year and eight months, I, I'm just saying strap in. We're going to be a while. And I'm okay with that. Matter of fact, I've been asking Jesus to just come back while we're in the middle of it. I'm cool with that, man. Right? So you guys, my prayer for us as a church is that we just soak and all that God wants to share with us through the book of Romans, that we just soak in it. And I want us, you guys, to be different people than we started by the time we finished this book. And I believe that prayer holds true for the whole Bible, but like I said to you before, I think there's something special about the book of Romans, at least in my own heart, and how God's used it in my own heart, and I'm not alone, you guys. This is a book that we've got plenty of like quotes and history from, from all these different people that were believers throughout history, and I want to talk about just a few of them. In 386, you guys, Augustine, everybody know the name Augustine? One of the early church fathers in three, the year 386, you guys, he was living for himself. He was totally in the flesh. He was totally a heathen, just doing whatever he wanted, didn't really even believe in God, and was like struggling through this idea of, do I even believe that there is this thing called God? Like, what does that all mean? And he's sitting there, and he opens a scroll, and it's Romans, And he was so profoundly affected by Romans 13, 
verse 13 and 14 that says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. That had such a huge impact on his life that that very, those two verses changed the entire course of his life. We know that name because of all of the prolific writings that he had about this, the gospels and what, what God was trying to get across and all these things. And we know all about Augustine because he read those two verses and it profoundly changed his life. He accepted Jesus at that precise moment after reading those two verses. You guys ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? <laughs> We're Protestants. We better know who Luther is, right? <laughs> he was a monk. I don't know if y'all knew that. From the 1500s. And as he was a monk in 1513, he was struggling to see God's righteousness as anything other than a hammer that would condemn his own imperfections and unrighteousness to hell. He was so nervous, you guys, that the first time as a monk that he was supposed to give communion, and you know in the Catholic Church, right, that they believe that the, the wine becomes the blood of Christ and that the, the bread becomes the flesh, right? So you don't spill Jesus' blood. There's only so much of it to go around. I'm not trying to be facetious, but it, that's the way they view it, right? Well, he was so nervous that he's like, <laughs> and it started spilling, and he got in big trouble. And so do you understand why he was at a place in his life where he was like, I I'm worthy of hell. That's all I've got. Well, you guys, Romans 1.17 is all the further he had to make it in the book of Romans. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You guys, that kept him up at night, struggling through what that meant. What did that mean? You guys, God gave Martin Luther the wake-up call that he had been searching for. This is a quote from Martin Luther. He says this. I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. You guys, it obviously profoundly affected Luther. Was Luther a perfect man? No, but he definitely walked in grace. He walked in grace. There's some stories, you guys, in church history that are interesting about Martin Luther. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I just find it so interesting. Anybody ever hear the name Zwingli? So Zwingli was this guy that started the Anabaptist movement, which meant rebaptizers. And the Catholics would run around and drown people because they're like, if you want to be rebaptized, we'll just kill you. And they would drown them and let them float down the river. And that was what they were doing. And Zwingli very, felt very strongly that the Catholic Church had this wrong about infant baptism and all that. And so he was saying like, no, that is not what Jesus did. That's not how this looks. And so he was going around and he started what we know as the Amish and the Mennonites. The Mennonites mainly. The Amish were a break off of the Mennonites. Yeah. And so that's kind of where Zwingli was. Well, Zwingli and Luther met one time and they were talking and Luther actually wanted to rejoin to the Catholic church, but they wanted the Catholic, he wanted the Catholic church to adjust. Zwingli was like, no, I'm not having it. We're just totally breaking away, right? So he was a true protester. He's like, we're not even coming back. Luther at the end of that meeting didn't want to hear anymore. And so he stood up and socked Zwingli in the mouth and walked out and they never talked again. So Luther was not a good man all the time. He was walking in God's grace, amen? Why do I say all that? Because God used Martin Luther in a mighty way. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm not the best person in the world. Neither am I. None of us are. Get past that. Realize you're walking in God's grace and let him grow you up. Amen? You guys ever hear the name John Wesley? 
John Wesley, you guys, was a failed pastor and missionary. He was a missionary and a pastor that just totally was failing miserably. He was doing so horribly that when he came over to Georgia, here in the United States from England, he actually got kicked out of the state. They didn't want him here. His message was just totally worthless to everybody. Everybody's like, whatever. They weren't going well for him in 1736. But you guys, in 1738, he was totally just wrecked. He was like, this, I don't even know what this is about. I'm an ordained minister. None of this has any power. I'm not doing anything for anybody. This is all garbage. But in 1738, he went to a Bible study in England. And in that Bible study, guess what they were doing? They were just reading directly from Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Not even reading the Bible, just reading Martin Luther talk about the book of Romans. And Wesley said this about that night. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And then assurance was given me that he had taken my sin away, even mine. You guys, John Wesley, this fruitless minister and missionary up to that point, accepted Christ that very night. Hear that again. This minister, ordained pastor, accepted Jesus years after he had failed miserably trying to do it in his own flesh. You guys, this book has had an impact on people's lives, and my prayer is that it will have the same impact on us. I'm going to give you one more story that I didn't really write down, but Chuck Smith is the guy that kind of started the Calvary Chapel movement with a bunch of hippies, right? They would have to go out and tell them to put their joints out to come inside because it was time for church. I mean, we're talking like a bunch of crazies, right? And God has done a mighty work through the Calvary Chapel movement. And that's what we're a part of. And I'm, I'm happy to admit that. I'm happy to own that. But at the same time, I'm not stuck to it. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So here's the deal, though. Chuck Smith went through the book of Romans and it took him, I think, over a year and it was in that year that he said that God just exploded the church. Numerically, yes, but that wasn't the point he was making. God exploded the church because people got a hold of this book. And so he says, he said that this book has special power. There's something about the book of Romans in people's lives if you let that sink in. It's true of all 66 books. I want you all to hear that. But there's something about Romans that I am really praying that we can just get our hearts around as we go through it. So let's talk about some background about this church in Rome. Do you guys ever look at any of the books? And I would encourage you guys to come to the Bible with questions if you don't. And so I always go to the Bible like, God, why would Paul have written a letter to this church? Like, why that church? And we know the answer to some of them, right? Corinthians, why did he write the first one? Well, because they had people that were sleeping with their, his mother-in-law, right? His stepmom. And it was like, ew, what the heck are you doing? And so Paul's like, get that guy out of there, you freaks. What are you doing? That's not good. And then you had to write 2 Corinthians. And part of the thing he wrote in 2 Corinthians, he's like, bring the guy back. He's apologized. Don't just keep him outside, right? <laughs> so there's all these reasons for why they wrote, he wrote certain letters to certain churches, but we should ask ourselves, what was it about Rome? Well, here's the deal. The church in Rome, we don't really know who it was started by, but most scholars believe that it was probably started by some unknown Jews. Many scholars believe that it was Jews that had been part of the 3,000 that got saved on the day of Pentecost right? That were there for the Pentecost. And then they went back to Rome and they just started in the synagogue and said, hey, this guy, Jesus is a Messiah we've been waiting on. And they, and they just started and it began to flourish. And there was a church that grew up in Rome. 
There's no real mention of exactly who began the church in Rome. However, you guys, we see clearly that by the time Paul wrote to this church, it was an important church, right? I mean, I love that there were probably a lot more churches than just the Roman church and the Jerusalem church and the church in Corinth and the church in Ephesus. But can we be real? Paul was one man and he was writing. And so I don't think he would have wasted papyrus and and money because it costs a lot of money to write and get these letters around unless it was important church, something that he wanted to just kind of pour into. And so we see here that this was an important church at this time. And I need us to remember something. Remember that Paul, what was he? He was the consummate Jew, wasn't he? He was the the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. And what did God say? Hey, you Jew of Jews, don't talk to the Jews. Go talk to the Gentiles. Why? Well, because God said, why not? Right? So even though many scholars believe that this church in Rome had started through these Jews that came from the day of Pentecost, here's what we do know. We do know for a fact that around 49 AD, that all of its Jewish members were kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius. Flip over with me to the book of Acts, chapter 18. See, I told you it wasn't going to be too long until we broke into the scripture. One book to the left, chapter 18. Verse 1 says this. I love that sound. Listen. Ah, We should just record that. I could just listen to that. I love it. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, Because Claudius, that's the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So we know for a fact from Roman history and here from biblical history that around 49 AD, Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jewish members. And so from that point on, you guys, this was a completely Gentile church. From that point until a little bit later. Right, So there was a time when the Jews came back, but you got to understand, and, we're, and that's when the book of Romans was written, was right as the Jews were coming back and as they were entering back in, that was when Paul was writing this. But there was a time when it was a completely Gentile church, so I want us to process this. Here's a church that's started by Jews, has a Jewish flair. They leave. You're in Rome. It would be like a bunch of Jews starting something, starting the Christian church in the middle of New York City, and then all the Jews leaving, and now you got a bunch of, you know, just Gentiles there. I want to say Italians, Irish, you know, all the people that like immigrated there, right? They're in the church. Can you imagine the Jews now coming back and they're like, hey, you know, and the Jews are like, what's going on? Right? Like it's changed flavor, right? And so you guys, there's a lot going on in this church. Now, one other thing I want to talk about. You guys have probably heard that Peter started the church in Rome. How many people have heard that before? Right? That's what a lot of people say. Here's the deal, and I'm not trying to burst people's bubbles. I'm just being honest. It's highly unlikely, highly, highly, highly unlikely. A couple reasons we know that. Well, one is this. The church started way before 48 AD, way before 49 AD when the Jews were kicked out. We know that the church was already established and it was already there. But the fact is, is we also know that Peter in 48 AD, we read about this in Acts 15, He was there for what? The first Jerusalem council. You remember that? 
when Paul came in and they met Paul and he was talking to Paul and he was like saying, hey, what's going on here? Like, what's your deal? What is your, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship, right? They were like, they sent him out and they were like, yeah, you're good. Keep doing what you're doing. You're preaching the gospel. Just keep doing it. And so we know that Peter was in Jerusalem. We have plenty of church history that establishes that Peter was a very big person in the church of Jerusalem. And so it doesn't really make sense that he would have planted the church in Rome. So the reality is, this really isn't terribly important, but I also don't want to shy away, you guys, like I try not to, from any sticky points. And the fact is, for Catholics, this is a sticking point. <laughs> it is, because they need, kind of, Peter to be the first pope. And they need Peter to be these things. But the reality is, it really doesn't add up historically. It just doesn't. But the other thing I need us to understand is we truly don't know who planted the church in Rome. From the, from the biblical record, we don't know. And I need you to hear that. So, what we do know is this, though. Church history tells us that both Paul and Peter did make it to Rome. We know Paul did, didn't, don't we? How did Paul make it there? Not as he had planned. He made it there in prison, right? Oh, and by the way, shipwrecked in the process, get bit by a snake, survived it. All sorts of craziness, right? That he got, had to go through what? Just to get to Rome, but the fact is, is that we know that Paul was beheaded by Nero between 64 and 67 AD. Why was he not crucified like Peter was? Well, because Paul was a Roman citizen and Romans didn't get crucified. And so he was beheaded. We know that Peter was crucified upside down, according to church history. And that was after he watched his wife be crucified. And this also happened under Nero around the same time. So you guys, this is just one book in the 66 books that we call the Bible, but my prayer is that we take in every word, that we give it the weight it's due, that we let God have his way in our lives as this book bumps up, bumps up against us. Because I promise you one thing, you guys, if you know anything about Paul, you don't read a letter from Paul without it bumping against you. You don't. If you do and you're like, oh, Paul's a great guy. He doesn't challenge me at all. Well, then you're not reading it. I'm just being honest. You're not letting it sink deep. You guys, I'm asking God as we go through the book of Romans to come wrestle us and win. You know that song that we sing? That's what I want. I want him to wrestle us and I want him to win. I want us to wrestle with it. One more quote from Martin Luther that I absolutely love. It says this, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. That's my prayer for us, you guys. So let's start reading. Romans verse one. It says this. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So you guys, Paul was writing to the, Romans, the Roman church somewhere between 53 and 58 AD. So this was before he, he had ever even gone to Rome, to Rome right, and, and all that. So where was he? He was in Corinth. And we read about that in the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts tells us that he was in Corinth at this time. And it was like he had three months of just kind of laid backness, which was odd for Paul. And so he was, while he was just being laid back, he just wrote this letter off to the people in Rome to the church in Rome, and we're told in this letter to the Roman church that he desired to go to Rome and meet them and teach there. We're going to read that later. 
Here's what he was doing. He was in Corinth gathering up the final kind of piece of the, of the money that was going to be sent off to Jerusalem. You guys know that whole story? So he was gathering all this money up for the church in Jerusalem. Why? Well, because the church in Jerusalem had literally given everything up whenever they got saved and lost their livelihoods, many of them, and had lost everything. And so they took up an offering amongst all the other churches to go and help that church. And so he was on his way, basically, to drop that off. And his plan was, and we're going to read about this as we get there, but his plan was basically to go down to Rome for what? Well, to spend some time there and and impart something to them, but also, you guys, to get more uh, for his missions journey. Where was he wanting to go? Spain. Think about that. From Italy to Spain, clear off to the end of the world, (laughs) right? So he wanted to go out to Spain to minister out in Spain because he's like, look, there's more people out there that need, need to hear about Jesus. So he wrote all this while he was in Corinth. And so Paul here, he starts off with this introduction. Paul, you guys, wrote many letters. He wrote many of us that we have here in the New Testament. He wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of 27. The majority of the New Testament is Paul. Many believe he also wrote Hebrews, of which I am one. Maybe it was Barnabas or Silas, I don't know. But you guys, he wrote a lot. He wrote a lot. We also are told in Colossians 4.16 that he wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea that we don't have. We're told in 1 Corinthians 5.9, he speaks of this letter that he had already written to the, to the Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians technically, I guess, should be 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians should be 3rd that we know of, but we don't know about that first letter. It's gone. And so God obviously didn't see fit that that should make it into our Bible. But we see here that Paul was a prolific writer and an important person in the New Testament church, and we know a lot about Paul from the book of Acts. You guys, from chapter 8 to chapter 28 in the book of Acts, it's all about Paul. And just in case you didn't know this, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, right? So he had an impact, wouldn't you say? You guys, most of the book in in the book of Acts is about Paul. We know he was a Pharisee. He was a zealous Pharisee. He helped imprison and murder Christians. He held the coats while Stephen was stoned. We know that he had letters of other Pharisees like hire Gamaliel and different guys that were like, yeah, go and get him. Go get him, Paul. Be the pit bull. And he loved that job and he did it well. And so I don't know. I don't want to put on more on Paul than there was, but I also don't want to minimize it because I've had people be like, he didn't murder. He only sent people to jail. We don't know. We don't know if he picked up stones and murdered people too. We don't know. But I know this. He definitely took part. We know that for a fact. Jesus, we know too, knocked him off his donkey, didn't he? On the road to Damascus. I think that's kind of funny because you want to be like, you got knocked off your high horse, but no, you got knocked off your high donkey. (laughs) No. You guys, he got knocked off his horse. We see this huge change in this guy that was known as Saul of Tarsus, and he became Paul, the slave of Christ. We see Saul, the Pharisee, that started out persecuting Christians in the power of man, become Paul the apostle, a man that gave his life to Jesus, the one with the real power. That's a pretty important change, pretty drastic change. So what do we read here in the introduction? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus. 
You guys, Paul preferred the title of bondservant. Do you know what that word means in Greek? It's doulos. I'm going to get that tattooed on this arm. That's coming. You guys, doulos means this, a willing slave. A willing slave. The concept of it, kind of, we can get a hold of in the Old Testament. Have you guys ever heard about the first earring ever mentioned in the Bible in a man? You guys know about that? I'm freaking people out right now, I think. So in the Old Testament, it talked about the fact that if you were a Jew and you wanted to remain a slave, that you liked your master, right? You were in there, you were getting your food, you were getting bored, you were taking care of this, not B-O-R-E-D, B-O-A-R-D, right? Board, room and board. You had this ability to live there. And if you really were like, you know what? We were done with our time, seven years, six years, and then seventh year, you were let free and all that. If you get done with that and you're like, no, I, I really like this situation, uh, you're, you're an awesome guy to just be under. And so we're okay with that. Well, then they would take you to the doorpost of the house, stick a nail next to your ear and hammer it through your ear, first earring. And then it would get bent over. And so you wore an earring, a nail through your ear for the rest of your life. And that was what proved that you were owned by so-and-so. And that was something you chose willingly. This wasn't something that was put on you. You had to choose it. So the fact is, you guys, that's kind of the concept here. He's a willing slave. What was he taking away? What was he called before? Pharisee of Pharisees. A messenger, you guys, to the Christian world that you're going to die turned into a guy that's like, I'm not going to say anything except what Jesus tells me to because he's my boss. He's my master. You guys, he was called to be an apostle. That's the next thing we see. A bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. What's an apostle? A messenger sent by God with delegated authority. Delegated authority. I get very nervous, you guys, today, if you listen to people online, and they'll be like, I'm apostle, reverend, right, reverend, so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. That's terrifying. That's terrifying to me. You don't put titles upon yourself. You don't. I don't care what you guys call me here. Some people are really stuck on this idea like, no, it's pastor, it's pastor. That's awesome, and I appreciate it. I really do, but I really don't care. Do you know why? Because God either called me to be a pastor, and so I am, or I'm not. What you call me doesn't really change that. Does that make sense? And so I'm just saying like, man, I'm not stuck on this, and I, I get really nervous about people that get really hung up on their name, on their title. And I think Paul... Yes, he was an apostle, and yes, he made that abundantly clear, but he didn't do it because he was trying to shove it in people's faces. He was doing it because he's like, this is the thing God told me to do, and so I'm doing it. You guys, he was separated by the gospel of God. Do you see that last part there? Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. What is separated? Holy, set apart. Set apart for one thing. The order that Paul uses you guys here is important. Do you notice the order? First, he was a doulos. First, he was a willing slave. Then he was an apostle, a servant leader to the people that God brought to him. The same thing holds true, you guys, for anyone in this church that wants to serve God and serve other people in it or even be in leadership here. Can I just say something? Unless you're a servant to God first, you'll never serve. I need us to hear that. The church today, I think, is very anemic because we want to lead, 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 but we're not willing to serve, serve, serve. 
We've got to be a church that's willing to serve. If you are not willing to serve, which means sacrifice, it means giving of yourself, it means taking a phone call when you don't really want to. It might mean getting off your rusty dusty and turning off the TV show to go and meet with somebody for coffee because they're really in a bad place right now. You want to lead? Serve. What was the last thing he was called? An apostle, you guys, this idea of an apostle was a willing servant. You'll never be able to be a willing servant, to, or you'll never be able to be a leader in the church, you guys, or a leader really in those around you unless you're willing to just say, God, here I am. Here's my life. I lay it down before you. It's yours. And I, I need us to hear this, you guys. Paul learned this the hard way, didn't he? This wasn't easy for him. And really, it's not easy for any of us. So don't think that I'm up here saying like, come on, you guys, just get with it and just snap to and make sure that you're just a willing servant, a willing slave. We are all in process trying to walk that out, aren't we? That's sanctification. Did we see that in the life of Peter? No, Peter was an idiot. No, the apostle Peter, right? He screwed up a lot. Even after he was called an apostle. Paul had to yell at him and be like, dude, what are you doing? You were eating with the Gentiles. Now you're not because some Jews showed up. That's not cool. That's a hypocrite. What are you doing? And he had to call him out right in front of everybody. And then Peter's like, oh. None of us have this figured out completely. So please hear me. I'm not up here saying like, man, you guys just need to do it. But what I am saying is if you want to see God move in your heart, begin to understand that it comes from a heart of being a doulos. It comes from you first looking to God and saying, God, I'm giving you everything. And if you're here today and you don't even know Jesus yet, guess what it starts off with? You admitting and realizing that the way you're doing it isn't working out so well. That's it. It's a question I would always ask every person. How's your life working out for you? Christian, we have to ask ourselves that all the time, don't we? God, I... I don't know why things are going so horribly wrong right now. And he's like, well, because you haven't listened to me for a while and I, I've been trying to talk to you. That's how God talks, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but if you're here today and you haven't even accepted Jesus yet, can I just be honest? Examine your life because if you are your own God, which is what you are if you don't accept God and accept Christ, can I just be honest? For me anyway, I can speak for me without any hesitation I screwed it up so bad that when I was trying to do it on my own and trying to be cool and trying to do all those things, it had brought me to a knife in my wrist. That was where I was. And I'm thankful that somebody was like, how's that working out for you? To where I could say, it's not. It's not working out for me. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're watching online or listening to this later and you are not a believer, it is super, super simple. And guess what? The book of Romans tells us how to do it says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again for you and you are saved. That's it. And I'm so thankful I made that decision. And I pray that for anyone here today that doesn't know that, that today would be the day. But Paul, he had to learn it the hard way. He walked around in this authority of man and he had a lot of authority, you guys. He was a Pharisee. He had authority beyond. And then he had letters to prove his Good, how cool he was and how powerful he was so that when he would show up into places, he could just make arrests and do all these things and send people to their death until Jesus knocked him down. 
And then what happened to Paul? He got blinded. Then he went into a house and waited a while until some guy that, you talk about being called out of your comfort zone. This guy's like, you're telling me I need to go and talk to this guy, Saul, who, by the way, God, I don't know if you know this, but he's killing us. You want me to go pray over him so that he can see again? I don't think that's such a hot idea, right? He had trepidation. It's why I always say I don't think God calls us into comfortable things. And so guess what he did, though? I'm going to be a slave to you, God, and I'm going to do what you told me to do anyway. And so he shows up, and then what's Paul do? Paul goes away for three years and studies and gets to know what God's word really said and understand how Jesus is in this entire thing from Genesis all the way through. And so Paul was built up in the power of the word, and guess what else he was built up in? Humility. He was built up in humility. And Paul had to learn, you guys, that his family line didn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. Anybody here need to hear that today? I don't care if your family has money. I don't care if you're from a family of losers. Your family line doesn't affect the kingdom of God. God sees you for who you are. His education didn't mean anything on its own to God. As a matter of fact, here's a guy that probably had most of the New Testament or the Old Testament, if not all the Old Testament memorized. Most of the Pharisees did. And we know that he was above all the other Pharisees according to him, right? Which is either pompous or true. And I don't know that it was pompous, if that makes sense, right? And so here's this guy that probably had the majority of the Old Testament memorized. And guess what? All of his education meant nothing. Why? Because he didn't get sent to the Jews. He got sent to the Gentiles. They're like, I don't care what degrees you have, <laughs> right? They're like, tell me more. I don't know. Maybe they did have a spittoon. You guys, his education didn't mean anything on its own. It doesn't matter what kind of education you have. His power and wealth didn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. He had to learn all those things. Here's what did matter. Humility. What's humility? An honest assessment of yourself is humility. It's not beating yourself down and talking about how bad you are, but it's an honest assessment of who you are. God has given you strengths, and you definitely have weaknesses. If you walk around thinking you have no weaknesses, you're not humble. That's proud. If you walk around thinking you're scum of the earth and that there's no good in you, that's also proud. (laughs) How dare you talk about a creation of God that way? I'm working on that. That's something I struggle with. You guys, we are called to just say, God, you know me and my mistakes and all of my foibles and my imperfections, and yet, God, you still saw fit to call me, and I am a son or daughter of God. I'm a son or a daughter of you, and that makes me amazing. Not on my own, but in your sight. He had to learn that there's power in the fear of God. That fear of God, especially in the American mindset, is kind of foreign, isn't it? Because we don't fear nobody, because we're America. That word fear, you guys, is more awe. Standing in awe. Can you get your head around for five seconds? And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I need you to really think about this. But believers, I want us all to process this thought. Do you know why we should have fear of God? Is because God is actually God, and we are not. And if God chose to, he could think us out of existence. If God chose to, he could reach out a hand and stop the earth from spinning, and we'd all be like, whoa! 
because there'd be no more gravity. If God chose to, he could squish us like little ants. I know God won't do any of those things because God is love. And we know that from his word. But I need us to understand that God is that powerful. He is really all powerful. And I think the more we can kind of get our heads around that, the more I don't know about you, but for me, I stand and I'm like, oh God, you are in charge of my situation. You are in charge of my problems. God, you have everything well in hand. You know my wife's pains and you know how long it's gonna take to heal. Lord, you know everything that's going on. Father, you know each and every sickness in this room right now and how you are gonna deal with it. And Lord, in all things, we trust you. That's standing in awe of God, recognizing that he is way bigger than me recognizing that he is the one that's in charge of all this. The final thing he had to learn is this, a life of service to King Jesus. You guys, it's something we're all in process with, something that we're all learning. If your time and your money and your stuff and everything you have is more important to you than God, Can I just encourage you in something? My prayer for us as a church is always this, that God would rearrange our priorities. And so if you come to me and you're like, man, I wrecked my car and oh man, my house burned down and oh man, I'm like, man, maybe maybe your priorities are out of whack. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. But I do pray that God would rearrange our priorities, that God would recognize that our time is not our time, it's his. The very breath in your lungs is his, right? Everything is his everything. And he blesses us with things, but for what? For us to use them for his kingdom. I want to look at something else here. We see that it says called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. You guys, there's an interesting thought here. Do you guys know that Pharisee in Hebrew means separated? The word Pharisee in Hebrew actually speaks of this idea of separated. And if we know anything about the the Pharisees, they were a separatist group, weren't they? How were they separatists? We are far above you all because you are all a bunch of peons that can barely follow the law, but we've got it down pat. But don't actually look at our lives because we're not doing it. But shut your mouth and just do as you're told. (laughs) That was the Pharisees in a nutshell, right? They felt like they were far, far above the regular Jews. And Saul of Tarsus was zealous to be the best out of all the others in that sect. But here's what he's saying here separated to the gospel of God, he's saying, I found something even better. I'm separated from this world to be a slave to Jesus. That's beautiful. That's awesome. So you guys, I want us to take this week to chew on just this verse. I want us as a church to take a moment, to take a week and just chew on this one verse. I want to encourage you guys, read ahead, but really just focus in on this one verse and read it. There is a lot here. The order of how it's said matters. Is that the order of your life? Are you a bondservant first? And then called to whatever thing God's called you to. Your workplace, your family. You guys, the Pharisee Saul had everything that every human dreams of. Power, money, prestige, authority, comfort, comfort, ease, respect. He had it all. He could have lived that out on this earth and been quite content according to the human standard. He had it all. The apostle Paul left all of it, all of his old life 
behind for the adventure of willingly being a slave to Christ. And do you know what we know about Paul? Flip over with me to the book of Philippians chapter three. Flip over to Philippians chapter three. This is what Paul thought about his old life. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse four, says this. It says, though I also might be confident, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he may be confident, have confidence in the flesh, I more so. In other words, you think you're big and bad, I'm bigger and badder. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, a separatist, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He's like, man, I had this down. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You guys, that word rubbish there means human excrement. That's what he's saying. It's all crap in comparison to following Jesus. Verse nine, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. His goal here, you guys, was to press forward to the goal to press forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where do you stand in your own life? What is your aim right now? Where are you running to? Are you running to a good vacation next year already? Nothing wrong with those things. Are you running to a brand new car? Are you running to make sure that your time is your time and just your time? Are you balancing all that and saying, God, I want to run towards you, knowing full well that you're going to bless me with vacation and things like that on the side? Do you see the difference? Huge difference there. What are you running to? You have to figure that out for yourself, you guys. I'm not up here standing here in judgment. I'm, I'm asking us as a church to ask hard questions. I, I'm always going to be asking us to ask hard questions because I think at the bottom of a hard question is a good answer. And with a good answer that we apply in our own lives is a changed life. It's a power-filled life. You guys have to be honest with yourselves before God. It's not something that anyone else can answer for you except you and God as you seek him. And Paul, you guys, he tells us right after he explains the truth of Christ in his own life, that just like we talked about with Augustine and Martin Luther and John Wesley, 
He has this to say to all of us. Philippians 3.15 says this. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You guys, part of maturing in your faith, believer, is giving your will over to Christ more and more and more. That's, that's maturing. Maturing literally means becoming a child in this context. Becoming more like a child and recognizing that your papa is the one that knows what's right and what's wrong and how to live your life. And so you keep giving more and more of your life to him and saying, help me, dad, I need it because I can't do this on my own. That's, that is maturing in Christ. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus yet. You don't understand what it's like to walk in the assurance of grace and in the, just the, the, the freedom of grace. Instead of having to, to eye up every decision you have and say, oh, is that right? Is that wrong? And I am, yeah, and be all stressed out. Or worse yet, think I'm right and I've got it all figured out and watch your life go to hell. Which is what happens. It's what was happening to me. The truth is, you guys, for all of us, man, we can continue to walk in our own immaturity, walking out this life, and then wondering on Sunday mornings why there's just no power in worship and why there's really no power in the word and why every week I just get together and everybody seems to not even know that I'm a Christian. It's probably a level of not submitting in your life. You guys, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit through submission to him is exactly what maturity looks like. And just as Paul said, we go to God and we ask him, Lord, is there any area that we're not submitting to you yet? And what did he say? If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Do you trust that we serve a God that's ready to answer? If you go to him with a question and say, God, like David said, show me what is dirty in my heart, right? Lord, show me what's going on in this heart of mine. I don't even know it. I promise you he's going to give you the answer. And he's so gracious, you guys, and I'm so thankful for this, that he doesn't pour it all out at the same time and be like, here you are, because that would probably bring you to a place where you're like, I'm crushed. Instead, he brings up one thing. He's like, let's just deal with this one thing. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about your language. Let's talk about you sleeping with your girlfriend. Let's talk about you smoking some weed. Let's, 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 let's work on that. Let's... let's Let's get that rubbed away and take care of it. Let's deal with this porn issue. Let's deal with this alcoholism. Let's deal with these one thing at a time. And then as that goes away and you're like, oh God, I'm free. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom. Then guess what? We go to God again and we're like, Lord, would you show me if there'd be any wicked way in my heart? He's like, oh, there's plenty. Let me show you another one. <laughs> right? And then you get another one revealed to you. And God is so gracious because we get to walk through this and Man, where I started was this. Stop having sex with your girlfriend and stop swearing all the time. And yes, you're in my church and you're with my youth group. And why are you dropping the F-bomb? It's not cool. That's where I started. And now God's dealing with me on a lot of other things. Like, man, why'd you think that? You shouldn't think that. That's wrong. Why are you watching that movie? Stop watching that movie. And I'm like, oh, I like that movie. That movie was great in the 1980s. And he's like, yeah, it's not great now. Right? God works on us. He takes things away from us slowly, and that's a good thing because he's a gracious, loving God, and he doesn't just hammer us with everything. But man, I pray, you guys, that this week, that you will take the time with God to ask that question and to hear the answer that he gives you. 
and to mature by submitting your life over to him in a deeper way than you are right now. Because I, I'm telling you guys, my heart for this book is that by the end of the time of this book being done, that we as a church have grown such deep, deep roots that we are not the same. And I can want that for us, and I'm definitely praying that for us, and I know a lot of other people are praying that, but do you know the reality of something? We still have this dumb thing called free will. You got to choose to do it on your own, you guys. Just like we have to choose to come to Christ. Oh, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and uh, she came over a little while to visit with Grace, and she was there, and she's just like, man, this whole thing, like, why, why couldn't God just make us automatons? And I'm like, man, I prayed that prayer a million times. God, would you just make me a robot? I will do whatever you want. I'm fine with that. But the reality is, is the reason God can't do that is because if he does that, we can no longer love him. Robots don't love. You can program them to love, but they're not loving. They're just walking out their programming. You guys, God desires us to love him. And I need you to hear this. God's already poured out all his love on us. We know that because Jesus went and bled on the cross for us and died and rose again for you. So if you're here today and you haven't accepted that yet, you will never make it to heaven on your own. You need Jesus. Just like I need Jesus and we all need Jesus. And he loved you so, so, so much that he was like, dude, you humans have screwed this up. And by the way, I'm all knowing, so I knew you were going to screw it up before I even invented Adam and Eve, before I ever even created them. And so Jesus already knew he was going to the cross. Do you guys realize that? Before the serpent was even able to get Eve to eat the fruit, which by the way, I want to make something clear, you guys. In the Hebrew, it's pretty clear that Adam was not off on the other end of the garden, hidden far, far away. He was within earshot. He heard all this going down. I need you all to hear that because I think women, we give you too bad of a rap for eating first, even though, man, why did you eat it? <laughs> but Adam, why didn't you step in and be a man and say, get that out of your hand? Don't listen to that. But he didn't. Why? Because I think somewhere deep inside, he wanted to eat it too. And he was too cowardly to be the man and eat it first. Men. Pew, pew, pew. Ah. You guys, I'm not going to ask you to promise me. But as your pastor, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I am a bundle of nerves over this book because I really have this anticipation in my heart that God is going to do something amazing as we go through the book of Romans. And I believe that for his whole word. So Wednesday night, great, like God's moving. But there's something in my heart, and I have no idea why it's so much different to me, but I just have this feeling that God wants to move on this church body through this book this time, this year. I'm praying that you join me in that that you take it seriously, that you chew on his word. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.